Jewish audio on Chabad.org. This part is presented by Rabbi Mendel Kaplan, spiritual leader at Chabad of Flamingo in Thornhill, Ontario. So today we're going to learn about people. Sounds interesting? Yeah. Alright. Yeah, about people. Attitudes. You can always learn. Yeah, you can always learn. So the Mishnah, the Mishnah is going to tell us about, about different measures of, uh, of people, different uh, character types, different personalities. And um, hopefully every one of us is going to be able to learn a little bit from it. Nobody has to nobody has to speak out loud but try to cast yourself into one of these roles. See where you fit. See where you want to fit. And uh, when we learn Teda, <laughs> it's supposed to help us to become a little bit uh, better each and every single day. Alright, so page 288 and the Mishnah we're learning now is Mishnah number 10. Arba. Four. Four different types of people. So it's very interesting, firstly, to point out that when the Mishnah talks to us about Arba Midas, about four different types, the Adam, with regard to a person, with regard to humanity, the Mishnah talks about money and possessions. The Mishnah talks about money and possessions. Mishnah 11 talks about Deus, attitudes and perspectives. Mishnah 12 talks about educational aptitude. Mishnah 13 talks about people who are charitable or philanthropic or not. Mishnah 14 talks about four different ways of approaching spirituality, a Torah study. Mishnah 15 talks about five different people who sit before the Chachamim. But Mishnah 10 talks about four kinds of people. Arba Mides Ba'odam. Not in a specific character of people, not in a specific kind of behavior, but Ba'odam. Four kinds of people. And it talks about money. So the question is, is that who we are? We're just, uh, we're just our money? Uh, why is it translated as men? I really can't answer that question. Uh, I, Adam really is a human. Well, how you do, what you do with your money is sort of who you are. Is it? Your nature. Person. Is it? Yeah, it's probably, it's probably so. Just, just first to answer your question, though, uh, or your remark, we often have in the English language also, people use he, but it doesn't necessarily mean he or she. It's just like a generic thing. It happens to be that the first human being that was created was an androgynous creature who had two faces. It was a male and a female. He was very confused. He wasn't so happy. Uh, Hashem peels the back off or front off whatever you want to call it the female side off and he builds a new body right and that that woman that person is the first woman and she's known as Chada so technically one could argue that man was created before woman although one could also argue that the first human being was both a man and a woman factually speaking though Adam kept the heart and the kishkas right the lungs the heart the kishkas the whole the hardware over there was kept by Adam and the Almighty created a new body so to speak for Chava so that, I guess that's why Adam, which means human, would more quickly be translated as he, as man. But when people say the efforts of man, of mankind, they don't really mean a man, not a woman. Mankind is, although it's more politically correct to say humankind. So, we'll translate it as Arba, Midas, Adam. There are four measures in human characteristic, in, in human personality. So we can be friends, okay? <laughs> As, uh, as, as Chacha was pointing out, yes, like, we you know, when you want to know somebody, the Gemara says there are three ways to find out who somebody is. Bekisai, Bekisai, Ubekasai. What does it mean? It sounds almost the same, right? It's the same Hebrew letters. Bekisai means his pocket. That's a euphemism for money. Bekisai is the cup. Somebody has a little too much to drink. And finally, Bekasai, when somebody loses their temper. That's where you find out who people really are. In other words, because people have the ability to role-play, or to assume other personas. Some of us are better actors, some of us are worse actors, but everybody knows how to act sometimes. 
As they say, the necessity is the mother of all invention. When you need to act, you act. You do what you need to do. But then there are certain times when we're not capable of pulling it together. We're not capable of concealing who we really are because who we are is just going to come out because something is so deep and it's so touching and it's so meaningful to us and it also peels away all of our external personas or external layers of consciousness or reality and lays bare what's really going on inside. How do you know who somebody really is? So we can't say there are four kinds of drunks. That wouldn't work. We can't say there are four kinds of angry people. The, the first, since you can know from all three, the first thing, the way you want to know who somebody is, you know who somebody is by the way they handle their money or possessions. Ask them for money. Charge them money. See how they react towards possession. See how they react towards monetary gain. And that's how you'll know who somebody really is. Why is that? Well, the truth is that it's very easy to understand that because money is linked to survival. You need money in order to survive. Money buys shelter. Money buys sustenance. It doesn't always buy happiness. But it certainly buys the accoutrements or <laughs> the superficial uh, things of happiness. You're not going to be happy if you're freezing in the winter and starving. You're certainly not going to be happy. It doesn't mean if you're well-fed and you're comfortably uh, bedded down that you are also going to be happy. You can be very warm and fed and still not be happy. But certainly people who are freezing and starving are not happy. So money buys survival, the things that we need most. And survival is the most base of all human instinct. Everybody wants to survive. Even small babies have survival instinct. They know how to protect themselves. So the Mishnah is going to talk to us really, it's not talking about money, it's talking about, talking about people. Only money is the best paradigm, it's the best metaphor to use to describe Arba Midas Badam. So, these four kinds of people who are going to be viewed through monetary lenses are as follows. Ha'oyimer shalishalach The person who says, or the people who say, Mine is yours. Vishalach shali And yours is mine. So, the Mishnah says about that, Am ha'oretz That person is, quote, an ignoramus. But ignoramus is... Uh, perhaps a mistranslation or, or a not full enough translation. As we explained, an Am Ha'aretz means somebody who lacks sophistication, who lacks education, who lacks finesse, who lacks wisdom. It's unformed. It's, it's rough. It's gruff. There's something nice there perhaps, but it's not properly developed. So we're talking about an individual who is uneducated, uncivilized, and undeveloped. When he has this notion... That shali shalach v'shalach shali. The Bartanura doesn't even say anything about this. It's really self-explanatory. Let me ask you, what does it sound like? That notion of shali shalach v'shalach shali. Communism. Sounds like com- communism was uh, a very powerful movement. Only a few decades ago. A century ago, it was the most powerful rising movement in the world. It rivaled democracy. And... What? Communism is synonymous to religion? Yes. In, in, in the Soviet Union and its related countries, communism was so powerful that it made, they made it into a religion. That's correct. That's correct. Just like people make democracy into a religion. Which is also not a Right. All these isms. Every ism, in order for it to be a real ism, it's got to replace religion. Because religion is so deeply rooted in the human psyche that the only way that you can replace something in a manner that it becomes all-encompassing and it defines people is by having it replace religion. Which actually just shows you how important religion is or proves to you that God is a part of our world and a part of our lives as much as we try to deny it. Not us, but people. So the, this notion of communism sounded very beautiful. A lot of altruistic people flocked to communism. It inspired within them this amazing kind of perfect world where everybody would be taken care of everybody else. And many Jews, so in fact it was almost, uh, I can't say almost all, certainly you can't say almost all communists were Jews, but almost all secular Jews were communists. 
especially in those places where communism held sway. And Israel had a very strong communist movement. In fact, the kibbutz is essentially a communist model. Not many of them left today, but uh, when, 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 when Israel, when they first started the society that they call Israeli society, it was a socialist slash communist society. didn't sound good to, to sell it that way later, so they, they like to use, emphasize and harp on the socialist part, not the communist part. Socialism is also shalisha lach v'shalach shali. It's all one pot. We're all in this together. In some ways, there's strains of the country we live in that are quite socialist. Healthcare. Everybody's got to get healthcare. Education. What do you mean it's yours? It's yours, it's mine. Mine is yours, yours is mine. It's all the same. So what's wrong with that? What really is wrong with this notion that let's share and everybody's is everything? (coughs) You're saying that communism is good if you keep it... You're saying, you're saying that socialism is modified communism. You're saying that it's communism in some areas, but not in other areas, so it's not so bad. As long as it's not overarching. But the Mishnah says that this kind of behavior is Amharats. So let's come back to this. I'm just pointing it out. I'm just, I'm just putting it out on the table. I think it's very, very interesting for us to see that something which sounds very altruistic and lofty, the trader considers it an uneducated, an unformed type of of society or reality. Who is the greatest enemy of communism? Capitalism. That's like an insult. They call you a capitalist. It's like a, in the United States they called you a communist and that was your a commie. That was the worst thing they could call you. <laughs> and in Russia they would call you capitalist. That was like a, almost like being called a Nazi. Right? That was like really, really bad. The truth is that there's a lot to be said for the ills of capitalism. We are right now in the midst of an international recession and a lot of people are suffering because of greed and capitalism. Capitalism which was disingenuous and lacked integrity in which everybody tried to get whatever he or she could out of the society no matter what the damage would be and no matter how dishonest they would, they would, be, they would have to be to get it. It's not so simple to dismiss communism. Not so simple to dismiss this idea that we should all be taking care of each other. And in many ways, one could argue that there are strains of communism or of socialism that are found in Torah. There's, there's a story that I probably have told you before, but I'll share it again because I think it's very meaningful and insightful, especially in a mission such as this one. The previous Lubavitcher Rebbe is a young man. He's traveling on a train in Russia. The year is 1907 and 1908, just before the communist revolution succeeds and there were many Jews who supported communism it wasn't that wasn't a secret there are many Jews who were monarchists there were Jews who had supported everything there are always Jews who support everything <laughs> in, in every age no matter what was going on in the world there were Jews behind it that's the nature of Jews they're very strange people they always, they always have to adopt causes other than our, our own in order to find a meaningful way to make a contribution of course, if we just adopt Yiddishkeit, everything would be fine. That would, be, that would satisfy our needs. Anyway, the Friedrich Rebbe is traveling on this train. And in those of you who are from Russia surely know this, that the train has a smoking car. And you, you, you're cooped up in these little areas, but if you want to get a little fresh air, you, know, you go out of your, even if you're in private class or first class, you get out of your little coupe, you want to get out of your little cabin, go to the smoking car. You can buy a drink. So this group of people are sitting in the smoking car, Jewish people, and they're discussing. Other people would call it arguing. We call it discussing. They were discussing. They were discussing which is the system of government that Torah would espouse. One was arguing that communism is actually has Jewish values. And it is the, it is the true Jewish way of government. And he was bringing proofs. This is not stupid people. He was scholar and he brought proofs in the Torah. Various mitzvahs that seem very much to follow the path of communism. And another argued that democracy was the truest path and that that was the path that Torah espoused. And yet another argued socialism. And a fourth was arguing that a monarchy is for sure the Torah system of government. Torah talks about a king. Without going into the details, the, the previous Rebbe is a young man. And he's sitting and listening to these, these arguments that are raging. He's in his 20s. And he comes over and he says, if, uh, may I... May I interrupt? 
And he said to them the following. He said, you're all right. <coughs> and you're all wrong. The Torah is the ultimate truth. The source of all truth. Everything in the world has to have some truth. Because truth gives something continuity. It gives it the ability to last. Falsehood cannot last on its own. So everybody has to mix a little bit of truth into any particular system they devise. Torah is from God. And God is perfect. Humanity is imperfect. So systems devised by humans are by, by definition imperfect. Because imperfect creatures can only devise imperfect systems. Only God who is perfect can devise a perfect system. So the Rebbe said, the Torah, since it is from God, it is perfect. All of the systems you talked about since they are crafted by people are imperfect. And each one of them has perfections or true truisms. And those truisms will be found in the Torah. And each one of them has falsity and imperfection. And those imperfections are in the hands of the creators alone and have nothing to do with Torah and with God. In other words, what is the perfect system? Torah is the perfect system. What is perfect morality? The Torah is perfect morality. Now, it happens to be that we would argue, I would argue, that the democracy is the, in, in, in a collection of imperfect systems, democracy is the best of the evils, is the, is, the, is the least imperfect system. Or the system that we could best live with, say, or live with most safely in a time that the Torah world is not ready to embrace the values of Torah. But it has many serious problems. It has many serious problems. Capitalism and greed are, are but one. The notion that... Uh, people are democratically elected means that you have to appeal to the lowest common denominator. So who gets elected is not necessarily the person who is wisest, most compassionate, or most capable. Rather, he or she was most charismatic. Which is ridiculous. Just because somebody has charisma doesn't mean that they have the ability to truly lead and make important decisions that will affect everybody. So communism is a very imperfect... Uh, democracy is, is a very imperfect system. I think the most egregious example of this was uh, everybody, the famous uh, vice presidential pick by George, Sen- George Bush Sr. It was a guy named Dan Quayle. Nobody heard of him before, nobody heard of him after. And it was like openly talked about that he was picked because he was a ladies' man. And he had to get the female vote. Yeah, that's what was openly talked about. Why would he pick somebody because of stupidity? Because when does stupidity get you elected? If you think the voters are stupid, then you have to find a way to manipulate the voters. And, and that was the reason that they chose Dan Quill. Because this is a handsome guy and he's going he's to sway the female vote. And by the way, George Bush won the election. I don't know if that's why, but the notion, the notion that that should influence the second most powerful position or the most powerful position in the world is preposterous. It is it's beyond ridiculous. It's, it's It doesn't make any sense. And the, the early Greek philosophers argued very strongly against the kind of democracy we live in today. Plato and Socrates and Aristotle all decried the notion that everybody could vote. Get <laughs> everybody vote. You have, you have, you have idiots. You have, you have ignorant people. You have people who have never succeeded in anything. They're going to be the ones to decide. And so, what was their yardstick? A landowner or somebody with money? Who says somebody's a landowner or money is any smarter? Then we get into the imperfection of, of the systems. And the systems are all imperfect. So therefore, going back to, to our Mishnah, you will find strains that seem communist or socialist or democratic in Torah. It does not mean that Torah espouses one or the other. Here the Mishnah is telling you about deus. By the way, the Mishnah is not endorsing a system of government here. The Mishnah is talking about attitudes amongst people. The way that people live. The way, the way that people see themselves. And the Mishnah tells us that for a person to see himself as shali shalach v'shalach shali Mine is yours, yours is mine. We're one happy family. There's no divisions. There's no individuality. There is no rights that anybody has more so than anybody else. That this is, it's a very nice and perhaps altruistic concept. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a very like, you know, like a childlike innocence to it. Oh, it's great. We're all in this together. But realistically, it is am ha'aretz. It comes from a system that is not civilized. It is not the civilized method of behavior. It's not, not the appropriate way to act. So what is? Let us continue to go through all the different methods, and then we'll see, and then perhaps understand better, as to the, the fallacies and the issues or problems with one versus the other. 
How's about shali, shali, mine is mine, bishalach, shalach, yours is yours. This seems to be the polar opposite of shali, shalach, bishalach, shali. Here, before we said, everybody's is everybody's, and now we're saying, mine is mine, yours is yours. Everybody play on their own. Don't bother me, I won't bother you. So the Mishnah says, let me the bangers. This is an average or typical behavior. Nobody can be faulted for being selfish. Nobody can be faulted for caring about himself. And he's not doing anything wrong. He's not infringing on somebody else's right. So as long as you're sticking to your own and you're not bothering anybody else, what could be said about that? But others maintain, this is the measure of Sodom. This is a shocking statement. Because Sodom, in many ways, is the paradigm of evil. If you want to talk about a rotten, sordid society, Sodom is the name to invoke. This is the, 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 the biblical story of a city that was so rotten to the core, God had to destroy it. So it's terrible, terrible behavior. Yet this really is an insult. To call somebody a sodomite, or to call somebody a society a sodomite society is, is a terrible thing. In fact, there are even certain terrible crimes, horrible crimes, which are called sodomy. Based on the idea of Sodom. How do you have this range of opinions about shali, shali, v'shalach, shalach. Yes, some Torah scholar says, it's okay. It's average. And others say, this is Sodom. This is horrible. This is, this, is, this is horrific. This is the kind of society that God destroyed in days of old. How does that work? That sounds like democracy without socialism. <laughs> Okay, it does sound like democracy without socialism. It sounds like it sounds like each person for their own. Each I person don't for their own. From you. I don't think that yours is. Yeah, so I'm not taking from you. As the Bartanura says, I don't want anything from you, and uh, I don't want to give you. Any, and I hope I don't have to give you anything. Yeah, there's no sadaka, no compassion. So then, if it's bad, how could the Mishnah say need a bainus? That's average. Average means that that's average is bad. It happens, but happens, but it's average. That doesn't mean it's good. So they're not arguing. They're just talking about two ways of looking at normal. Normal is what most people do, or normal is what's really normal. What's the argument here? Normal is the standard at the time, isn't it? There's two definitions of normal. Normal is. What's normal? What's normal? That's why you can say something becomes normalized. Because now everybody's doing it. So imagine in, in, in Amsterdam, it's normal to smoke pot. Everybody smokes pot. That's normal. And in some places, it's normal to have earrings all over your face. It's a normal thing. Other places, it's not normal. What's the difference between being normal and not normal? Because that's societal. What people do. And then there is something which is intrinsically normal. But we would say that is in a sugar place. I, I, I think that the only definition of, of, of objective normal would be linked to objective morality. It has to come from the Torah. Because otherwise, whatever people do becomes normal. I don't know. Do you think people care for each other? Things also change that fashion, like, for example, in Many, many years ago, men wore robes. Yeah, men wore robes, women wore nose rings, that's true. These things are not intrinsic to society. There's nothing intrinsically wrong with robes or pants. It's just whatever's normal. But let's say, for example, killing is not normal. Even in Nazi Germany, where killing was normal, killing is still not normal. Why? Because Taylor says it's not normal. Cruelty is not normal. Even in a society that's cruel. Why? Because Taylor says it's not normal. Not respecting parents is not normal. Even if a whole society doesn't respect parents. Why? Because Taylor says it's not normal. Let's, let's talk about this, um, these, this, this argument. What is this dispute? What's this dispute all about? So here's three methods of resolution. It really is a very big question, by the way. It's, it's, it's very hard to understand how we could have such a disparity amongst the sages. But one saying something is normal. Normal basically means acceptable. It's normal. And Midasadun is something which any normal person rejects. You reject it out right out of hand. How could you, how could you accept that? A stomite? 
So the Medrash Shmuel says like this. How we, how we judge or analyze the behavior of people can be done one of two ways. And exactly along the lines that we have been speaking. One is called dialectical. And one is called objectively. Dialectic definition means you, you define something by comparing it to others. To things around it. Some Jews are dialectical. They define themselves as being not the other. They really have no idea what they believe in. They just know they don't believe in Yashka. That to them is Jewish. That doesn't make any sense. That's not really the definition of being Jewish. I was giving a lecture years ago. Somewhere in, um, it was supposed to be about Kabbalah. So I started off by saying, what, what is Kabbalah? What, the whole, what is the whole concept of Kabbalah? Kabbalah is Taylor. That's the point I want to make. And Taylor comes from God. So the people say, no. No. It's Jewish. Kabbalah is Jewish. What do you There's no God. Yeah, if it's Jewish, if it's, if the Jews made it up, then it's Jewish. Where did you get this thing of God from? So I said to them, so in that case, in that, in that case, uh, Shalom Aleichem's plays are on the same, on par with Torah. So yeah, Jews made it. In that case, I said then, Christianity essentially is Judaism. Because it was made by a Jew and by Jews. They said, no, it's not. So why not? Because they have a new covenant. I mean, they have a Brit HaChadasha, a new covenant. So? So maybe there's a new covenant. So if a bunch of Jews make a new covenant, why doesn't it become another Jewish religion? They got very upset. This looked, I guess this thought is very disturbing, and they walked out. <coughs> Fine. I mean, the, the, the point, though, is that, that it's, it's very unsettling for people to realize that the whole definition of something is just, I'm not the other guy. But the definition of being Jewish is not that we're not good. The definition of being Jewish is to be, so what does it mean to be Jewish? That's a problem a lot of Canadians have. But what does it mean to be Canadian? They tell you to be not American. <laughs> okay, that's very nice. Well, what is Canadian? <laughs> what is Canadian? They say, we're supposed to be different. I said, different than who and different than what? Well, we're not Europe and we're not the United States. That's very nice. What are you? <laughs> a lot of people are not sure. I don't know that you have to be. It doesn't make a difference. I don't, I don't know that, that patriotism is necessarily a, a requirement for a, a normative, a decent society. But one thing is certain, that when it comes to definitions, there are two different ways, two different manners. What is normal? Normal could be dialectical. Normal could be we take an extreme good. Normal could be we take an extreme evil. And we say anything which is not extreme good or anything which is not extreme evil, normal, normal. The extreme good is heroes, amazing people, wow, fantastic. And extreme bad is terrible, horrific. And normal is, is as Jamal has mentioned, regular people. So a person who uh, does a, a tremendous amount of good, when you, when you go to the funeral, what do you hear? How unusually good, how fantastically good, amazing, amazing, wonderful people. Now, I don't know if people tell the truth at funerals, but generally speaking, at a funeral you try to talk about something which is unusual. How funny is it? It's obviously not so funny because it's lost on most of the crowd. But when you come to funerals and you talk about the funeral, about a person being a person. Just that. So a mother, she fed the kids breakfast every day. I don't think most mothers do that. I, I, I continue to scratch my I know I shared this with some of you before. It's, it's, it just boggles my mind. Then we get up at a funeral, say, so he or she loved the children. Oh, he loved the man. Who doesn't love the children? Who doesn't love the children? Even there was a uh, unique relationship between spouses, loved each other. It's also very maybe not normal anymore. But love the children, that's still normal. It's normal. No, until you become old Bahais, behemoths, not like animals in the street, where they have babies and leave them in the street. That's how animals are. You know, they raise them for three months and leave them to raise fun for themselves. So we all, all we've, we've come to a point where now we're saying that not to be an animal is already exemplary. That's already an extreme. We say that's normal. Normal is not, is not laudatory. We don't laud normality. Normalcy. She was a normal person. It doesn't sound good. She was normal. <laughs> she was normal. doesn't sound good. Did everything she's supposed to do raise So really, what are we supposed to do with a, 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 a eulogy? What, what's the, the idea? Let's try to find something unique about a person. That's the truth. Try to encapsulate something normal. Other than they got up in the morning and went to sleep at night. That's what people do. 
Now, if somebody lived in a society where everybody slept all day and was up all night and the sugar and this one person stood up against the whole world and went to sleep at night and was up during the day, then that would be something to talk about. That's unique. That's something special. So this is, this is a, a way of defining the norm. The norm is that which is neither extreme. They tell a story of a new rabbi who comes to town and he's at a funeral and he's trying to... It's his first funeral and he says, a, figures, it, was a, it was a good yid, a good yid. Somebody gets him and says, you crazy? What kind of good yid? He didn't even come to show him Kippur. Okay, sorry. It was a, he had a heart. He had a heart that somebody else screams. A heart of stone. The guy didn't feed his own children. Try something else. Kenny's getting yelled at. He says, for heaven's sake, somebody say something nice about Mr. Schwartz. And an old man gets up. His brother was much worse. (laughs) (laughs) So the Medishmul says that one one characterization of normal is dialectical. It's normal. Normal. This is extreme bad. This this, this, is what's considered off the walls. And the Mishnah talks about that. The Mishnah gives us an Amaretz. The Mishnah gives us a Rasha. We'll talk about later a wicked person. The Mishnah tells us about a Chassid. All of these are outstanding. It's outstanding. The, 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 the Rasha, the wicked, is, is egregiously wicked. The Chassid is exceptionally pious. Beyond the letter of the law. The Amaretz is just ignorant. That's also kind of extreme. Ignorance is not something to, to celebrate. But this guy is just normal. It's normal. It's a regular person living his own life. So the Mishnah calls it me the Bainus. It fits in between. The another opinion in the Mishnah says we cannot define things dialectically. You cannot say, look at something and say, well, let's look at the extremes and whatever is the middle. That's that's normal. So the Mishnah says that's not normal. Just because everybody does something, it's not normal. We need to look at everything on its own merit. What is it? What is it? It is extreme selfishness. That's what it is. A person who lives a life totally absorbed himself, shuli shuli. You drop dead, I don't care. I'm not asking you for anything, don't ask me for anything. That's not, that's not normal. What if that is normal? Then, then it's not normal. If that's normal, society is not normal. By the way, society is not normal. That's the society we live in. We're famous for it in Canada. Especially nine months here, we all hibernate. Nobody even knows who the neighbor is. Don't bother me, I don't bother you. Just, just try to like, you know, try to stay away. You drive into the garage, you press the button. Open the button, go out of the garage, build a big fence around the backyard, and the least, less you see and less you know, nobody could ask you for anything, don't bother me, and that's it. Because live on top of each other. You have all the excuses of why we do it, but it's not normal. The truth is it's not normal. They used to say that the chassidim, one of the hallmarks of chassidim, in the old country was chassidim had open homes. It's so open home. Today you have homes with big uh, wrought iron lions in the front, and if, uh, if you're a little less lucky, there's live dogs that come jump out behind the lions, you know. <laughs> and woe is to the schnur who comes over that wrong doorpost because he, you know, he might leave with the half of what he came, has the The notion that homes, people's homes should be open. People, that people should be happy to have guests over. The people, there should be a, an exchange. This is the notion of community. Community is not, I'm for myself, you're for yourself. That's the end of the story. So, the, the, the other opinion of the Mishnah says we never look at anything dialectically. Dialectical definitions that don't work for Jews. doesn't work for Tata. MS, truth, is not a, a relative term. Science maybe says it's all relative. But Tata does not say it's all relative. The theory of relativity doesn't work over here. It has to be looked at for what it is. And what is it? It's really Midasna. That's what the Medrash Shmuel, that's what he explains this disparity. And it's, it's actually two, in, two ways of looking at life. Both have integrity. Both have integrity. Well, one could argue that at least you're not in the lowest dregs of society. As long as you're in the middle. You're in the middle. Are you outstanding? No. Should you be? Yes. But you're in the middle, please. The Me'idi has a different way of explaining the, the, the Machloikas, the argument, the seeming argument between the two. He says, actually, we're talking about two different kinds of people. A person who is unwilling to take a loss for somebody else, but doesn't want anybody ever to have to spend anything on him. So, it's not nice. It's not a pious thing. But it's, it's normal. 
normal. I'm not required to go and to spend. I'm not required to go out of my way. He doesn't want to go out of his way. If it doesn't cost anything, it's not out of my way. What do I care? Sure, I don't mind if somebody... It's not that I mind if somebody benefits. It's that I mind being bothered. I don't want to be bothered. Not to want to be bothered is normal. We're all created that way. We all don't want to be bothered. Look at little kids when they're playing with their toys. They don't want to be bothered. They certainly don't want somebody else the same age playing with the same toys. They don't want that. And then, this Midas Day. Midas Day is... It's not a question of... Even if it was being bothered, even if it doesn't bother me, I don't want you to benefit. I don't want you to have anything from me. But you didn't lose anything. doesn't matter. You can't have any, any benefit from me. You can't have any enjoyment. I don't want my, myself and my money and my residuals to be helping anybody in any way, shape, or form. That is already evil. Because forget that you're not compassionate. Forget that you're not willing to spend. Forget that you're not willing to go out of your way. What do you care? There's an expression in the Gemara. One will benefit and you didn't lose anything. Of, of somebody benefiting or somebody else not losing anything? Perfect example. Uh, Giving away something you don't need anyway. I don't need it. You need it. You know, they have this expression that goes like this. It says when somebody else is suffering, somebody else having a hard time, so, to invade the hearts. You know, the heart hurts. Somebody else having a good time? I can't even stand it all together. <laughs> <laughs> it makes no sense. It's human nature. <laughs> you know, this, this, uh, it's a big thing to be mishtatif, but see somebody has tzar, somebody has tzaras, you want to be part of it. But it's even harder to be mishtatif, somebody else has joy, and you're happy. I'm so happy. Why should I be happy for them? <laughs> what? So that's so good for them. What do you want from me? It costs you money to be happy for them. It's human nature. Jealousy. Good for you. You have a right. There's much, there's much more. I don't know about that. I find people much more quickly running to the shiva house than they're running to. When do people travel? When do people drop everything and run to travel? Somebody makes a simcha when somebody's sitting shiva. Think about it. When do we when do we when do we just stop everything and cancel I have a funeral to go to? When we have a, a bris or a funeral. A baby naming? Think about it. It's very weird. It's human nature. Human nature. Part of part of human nature is when somebody else is down. So it doesn't take anything away from us. Like they're down. So you all of a sudden you're the giver. Everybody likes to be the giver. Everybody's the hero. But when somebody else is up, you know, okay, you're the giver but you're looking up, it becomes, becomes difficult. It challenges the default mode of humanity. It's not a right thing. It's not a good thing. We have to try to overcome that. That's what Taita is all about. Taita is about modifying your personality. Whilst Western culture celebrates our deficiencies and makes a parade to uh, rejoice and dance about our problems, our issues... Peter says, no, you have to work on changing the, the, the issues or the problems that you have. <laughs> so this is, this is the, the, the discrepancy here. It says the me'idi between the two opinions. Need the bainanis is when I'm, I stand to lose. That I should stand to lose. Somebody else stand to gain. I don't have to, but I have to lose somebody else. I have to give you... Well, you, you're not losing anything and you just don't want to help somebody because you don't want to help somebody that's already unacceptable and then there is a third way to reconcile the senior argument and this is found in the writings of Chassidus primarily a famous Hemshech authored by the fifth Lubavitch Rebbe Rabbi Shalom Dov known as Ayin Beis based on the year in which it was begun in 1912 Rebbe Rashab said a mimer a continuous teaching for six years from 1912 till 1918. Anybody knows what happened during that period? Oh, pogroms, communism, the World World War One, the most difficult time prior to the Holocaust, the most difficult times for the Jewish people. And it is the deepest treatise of Hasidic thought ever written. Which says something remarkable about the Rebbe Rashab, but about Torah in general. The notion of being able to reach in 
and to succeed in your Avedis Hashem, to reach the highest levels, not out of plenty or comfort, but out of challenge and difficulty. If you read about all of the great heroes, it's not only true, by the way, about Torah heroes, but it's especially true about Torah heroes, the, the greatest sages were not the ones who grew up with silver spoons in the mouths. Personal challenge, national challenge. The Rambam didn't have a bed from when he was eight years old. I mean, he grew up in the forest. He grew up in the, the terrible pogroms, terrible things going on. And, and these are the most amazing scholars we ever had, people who didn't have the luxury of a normal life. <laughs> anyway, that just as a little aside. So, the Rebbe Rashab says that this Mishnah, the different opinions in this Mishnah highlight the, the issue of what is Midasteh. What is Midasteh? In other words, the Me'idi says that the different opinions are talked about two different kinds of people. There's two forms of Shali Shalach and Shali Shali Shalach Shalach. There's two kinds. There's the kind when it doesn't cost and there's the kind when it does cost. So there's two kinds. They're not even arguing really. According to the Me'idi, Midabainanus is one kind of Shali Shali Shalach Shalach and Midasdaim is another kind of Shali Shali Shalach Shalach. The two different people. The Rebbe Rashab says they are arguing here. There is a dispute. The dispute is what is the definition of Sdom? <laughs> if I don't give because it costs me, does that exonerate me from Sdom? Does that, does that take me out of that category? In other words, I don't give and it doesn't cost. I just don't want somebody else to benefit. I don't want somebody else to be happy. Misery loves company, etc. Damn for sure, that's dumb. It's dumb. They couldn't bear to see somebody else happy. Couldn't bear to see somebody else succeed. Couldn't bear to see somebody else benefit when they're not benefiting. That's dumb, for sure. How's about when it's going to cost a little? I have to go out of my way. There is, there is some kind of challenge or some kind of difficulty that is attached to the situation. And I choose not to. But I choose not to, but I have my reason for choosing not to. Does that exonerate me from Sodom? The fact that I had a reason. Or, is that still Sodom? You understand what I'm saying? So, so you have to go out of your way a little bit. But somebody else could benefit so much. So the first opinion says, as long as somebody has a reason, it's not yet Sodom. They have a reason. I mean, it's, it's not, they're not evil, they're not wicked. They have a reason. You, couldn't you be a little nicer? Yeah, I could, but... Second opinion says, reason shmizen. If you're not nice to somebody, if you can't have a heart and can't show compassion and can't show appreciation for somebody else's welfare, because of your little reasons, you're a sodomite. It's not about if I, got, if I can get away with it. It's about the, rea- the reality is your person doesn't help others. A person doesn't help others, even if it comes, it would come at a small cost, that already is, is definition of snow. And that's the dispute over here. Can you get off the hook when it costs you a little? One opinion says, yeah, it's me, the is. that's how people are. So it cost me five minutes, somebody else will benefit for hours, ah, why should I do it? Come, I have no interest, in it. I'm busy. The other opinion says, that is still me, this dump. So there are two levels in what's called me, this dump. At any rate, one thing is certainly clear from this statement in the Mishnah that not to care about others is not an appropriate way to live. It's not an attitude. What do I care? It's not me. That, that, that doesn't work. It's not, even if it's normal, it's certainly not praiseworthy. It's not our paradigm of the good person. It's not who we look up to. You know, we talk about a model citizen, that's not a model citizen. We talk about the kind of people we wish our children would grow up to be, or we'd like to fancy ourselves as, that's not it. Shali shalach v'shalach shalach. Mine is yours, and yours is yours. Here we have just defined a chassid. That's pious. Mine is yours, and yours is yours. Hey, it's got to go two ways, right? If I'm ready to share everything, at the very least, I want to be shared with as well. 
treat me the way I treat you. I'm ready to give you everything. Now I'm going to take as I please. No, says the Mishnah. That, that is maybe normative behavior. In, in fact, interestingly, the Mishnah doesn't even talk about normative behavior. The Mishnah only talks about extreme behaviors. Because he, normative behavior we don't have to discuss. It's not, it's not something to, to try to be. We, we're supposed to try to be excellent. We're supposed to try to achieve above and beyond the call. We're supposed to do something unusual. The whole Mishnah, the whole Turkey others is talking about Midas Chasidus. It's talking about measures of piety. Which means to go beyond the call of duty. Beyond the requirement. So if we're just going to talk about the literal requirements, that's, that, that goes without saying, figure it out yourself. What's the bare minimum? But what should we aspire to? We should aspire to be a Chasid. Which means one who is sharing, but doesn't have any expectations. Now certainly doesn't make demands on others. Doesn't think they have a God-given right to take what belongs to somebody else. I have a moral obligation to be compassionate and to share. I don't have a moral right to go and take what is not mine. Yes? So how do you encourage someone to be generous, to give tzedakah, to care? How do you... I mean, how we act is how we judge. But how do you... You know, Susan, you cannot, you cannot force people to be good. Even your children, you can't force to be good. You can try to inspire, you can try to teach, but you can't force people. If somebody doesn't behave right, you can take out a book of Tillam and say Tillam for them. You can daven that Hashem should put uh, some inspiration in their heart. You can't force people. And if you force somebody, you didn't accomplish anything. Then it was you, not them. Another famous story that I, I'm sure you heard from me many times. I'm sorry I have to hear the same stories again, but just to make the point. So there's this uh, chassid who was in Yechidus with the Rebbe, and the Rebbe says to him, I'd like you to influence such a such to grow his beard. Chassid said, a beard influence him. So he comes back a few months later, the Rebbe says, what's with our, uh, the mission I gave you? He said, uh, it's, not, it's not working. He doesn't want to grow his beard. And they said, please, go back, try again. It's important. He's a chassid, a chassid should have a beard. Okay, this is like, the, you know, in the 60s, it was a common to have a beard. A lot of people didn't have beards. Comes back a few months later again. The Rebbe says, no. He says, uh, listen, I, I tried. It's not, uh, he's not up to that right now. So he says to the Rebbe, look, Rebbe, if it's so important to you that so-and-so should have a beard, why don't you tell him to grow his beard? The Rebbe said, if I tell him to grow his beard, it's my beard, not his beard. Mm-hmm. So that one say, of course, he's going to listen. <laughs> That's a, that chas is going to listen to what the Rebbe said, but that doesn't accomplish anything. The, the purpose is not to force somebody into something. The, the whole problem with the Torah being given was that we were swept off our feet until the time of Purim, until we reaccepted, as I talked about a few weeks ago on Shabbos. There's a fundamental problem with that. The fundamental problem is righteousness to be a choice we make. If it's not a choice we make, if it's not something we decide to do, then we don't get credit for it. But eventually they'll want to do it. Hopefully. Maybe. So there's many ways to understand it and to so learn that. growing a beard. What's the difference between beard it is? Uh, it's not so precious. Okay. The devil wanted to see an inner transformation. Uh-huh. What is the purpose of growing a beard? What is the purpose of growing a beard? Okay, this is totally off the track, but the, 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 the Torah itself says that a, a man should not round, quote-unquote, the corners of his face. Should not? Should not round the corners, which means to remove your beard. Right? Now, there are halachic loopholes in using, if one uses an electric shaver, according to many opinions, rather than a razor, it's not considered an outer violation of that particular mitzvah. But so there are two things. First of all, there are halachic opinions that say that that loophole doesn't work. So, why live in a loophole? If you don't, you know, if you want to be, one wants to aspire to a higher level of observance, one shouldn't try to look for loopholes, or one should be careful if it's a mitzvah or a lesis and minatayda, an actual Torah dictate, one should try to observe it to, to the best of their ability, which is not to take a more lenient path, number one. And number two, according to the teachings of Kabbalah, it's a person is enriched by, by having their beard. One is enriched, spiritually enriched. It represents something called Yud Gimel Midas Harachanim. That the, it, it invokes God's compassion and mercy. Much like a certain cracker that we'll be eating in a few weeks from now that supposedly fortifies one's faith. Much like a Megillah that was read a few days ago that supposedly changes. So just like we believe that things we eat and things we hear and things we do makes a difference. So the fact that one's body is in a certain way also makes a difference. Not sure to believe that somebody circumcised makes a difference, and so on and so forth. But that's not a law, is it? 
It's not a law. I cannot say it's not a law. To use a razor is forbidden according to the Torah. It is a law. There is a leniency, a loophole, using certain kinds of shavers, which I'm not expert with. That is a custom. Long pace is a custom. To shave a mohawk haircut is not a Jewish thing. Interesting, you're not easy to, 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 cut, to cut one's hair, to shave off the side of one's face is, is, is against the Torah. Nobody says you have to have long pace. That's already a custom. If not a law. Short, short hair. My hair's so short. Why does the army shave his head? I cannot tell you why your son in law shaves his head. Number two? Generally speaking, short haircuts were always a Jewish thing. Amongst other reasons, a lot of hair is not good to fill right? It's like you have a huge afro, like a film hanger or somewhere else. So that's it's custom. It doesn't say you have to cut your hair a certain length. And in fact, a Nazarite would have long hair. And somebody who's mourning also has long hair. So, it's not, it's not something which is prohibited by Torah. So, we're stuck in this, in this Mishnah, in the way we just get up to the Chassid. Let's quickly finish off, and then I met some next week, we'll further analyze and elaborate this fascinating Mishnah. Shalach Shali. Yours is mine. The Shali Shali. And mine is mine. Here we have reached the outer fringe of selfishness. This is a Russia. That is true wickedness. Because basically, a person wants to benefit from others, and he feels he has every right to, but wants nobody to benefit from him. Not only wants to benefit, he believes that he has this uh, right to take whatever he pleases, but that nobody has a right to take anything from him. That is called a Russia. That's called wicked already. So we have these, these uh, four different categories of one who is uncivilized, one doesn't understand and appreciate the notion that mine is not yours and yours is not mine, that there has to be a certain division. Mine is mine, yours is yours, but I have to share. The Mishnah doesn't talk about that. The other person doesn't, doesn't share, he, ju- he just says everything is everybody's. The person who says there's no sharing whatsoever, depending on what level, as we discussed, there's certainly one who goes beyond the pale of decency, and even if it's normal, at a certain point it becomes sodomite. You know, you're, you're very, very, you're on a, you're on a narrow, uh, narrow border over there, you're on thin ice. A chassid is a person who always wants to do for others, and tries his best never to take from anybody else. Never wants to benefit, never, doesn't believe that he has any God-given right to, to benefiting from others, but does believe he has a God-given obligation to help others. And finally, the Russia is the polar opposite of this, the person who is not beyond the letter of the law and good, but beneath the letter of the law when it comes to others. He does not recognize others' property or others' rights, but has full appreciation only for his rights, and that's the ultimate paradigm of selfishness. So this is, this is the Mishnah. And in Mitzvah next week, we'll continue to, to discuss the implications of this Mishnah, what it means to us on a, on a practical way.